Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to Coast to Coast AM, the very best in late-night talk radio. I'm Richard Serrett, and tonight, this morning... I'm coming to you live from Athens, Greece, and I'm here until mid-November. I'll be back in the Coast Air Chair Saturday, November 18th, Friday the 24th, and Saturday the 25th of November when I'll once again be broadcasting from my home studio beneath the stairs in Thornhill, Ontario. Some sad news. Matthew Perry has died of an apparent drowning at his home near Los Angeles. He was 54. The beloved friend star was reportedly found dead in the jacuzzi of his home in Pacific Palisades. Just after 4 p.m. on a Saturday, law enforcement sources told TMZ that uh, first responders rushed to the address after a call reporting a cardiac arrest. Sources say no drugs were found at the scene and no foul play suspected. Perry, who was uh, not married and had no children, had a long history of drug and alcohol abuse. He opened up about his decades-long battle with addiction in a memoir published last year. He went to rehab 15 times, had undergone 14 surgeries to try and mitigate the damage done to his stomach lining due to alcohol and opioid use. He had been drug and alcohol-free since May of 2021. So sad. It seems so unfair. He struggled so long to get clean Seemed to have finally gotten his life back on track, and now he's gone. Friend star Matthew Perry, dead at 54. Coming up in the first half of Coast tonight, Augie Nost returns to the program. Augie is best described as an expert in weird science, the paranormal, and the power of the mind. And he'll be here to discuss a time travel device that was was given to him by the late Stephen Gibbs, an inventor in Omaha, Nebraska. And Gibbs also gave a similar device to Art Bell back in the late 1990s. In the second half, prolific documentary filmmaker, conspiracy researcher Josh Reeves, also a return visit to Coast to discuss artificial intelligence Rapid progress in the development of AI has been too rapid for many, including pioneers of the technology who are now issuing dire warnings about the future of our economies, democracies, and humanity itself. From job losses to mass extinction events, experts are warning that AI technology risks opening a Pandora's box of horrors if left unchecked. Coming up next, the late Steve Gibbs time travel device welcome to the audio imaginarium come on in weary traveler hang your cloak on a peg grab a stool and come gather around the fire there are stories to be told and you are among friends i'm richard serrett and this is coast to coast am why don't you stay a while Augie Nost is the author of Spiritual Science, Higher Consciousness Thinking, and How to Access the Universal Consciousness. 
By age 25, he'd learned several languages, studied science, including metaphysics and different forms and theories of spirituality. At age 25, he left Norway to go to the U.S. to go to flight school at Emory School of Aviation in Greeley, Colorado, where he obtained numerous pilot licenses. He co-wrote a book titled Alien Encounters in America's Midwest, which featured hidden government documents on the cover-up of the UFO issue, NASA prints of buildings and structures on our moon, and personal testimonies from people who have had contacts with extraterrestrials. With his partner, Nori Love, they have created a mastermind for meditation and manifestation of the future we'd like to see. Augie Nost, welcome back to Coast to Coast. How are you? Well, thank you. Thank you there. I've um, got coffee in hand, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Great to have you back. So uh, back, you. In the late back in the late 90s, uh, inventor Steve Gibbs appeared on Coast to Coast with Art Bell and talked about his time travel device. I believe uh, Art later received uh, this device, and uh, I'm not sure if he ever tried to use it. I, I seem to recall listening to an episode where Art um, mentioned maybe to a caller, yes, he'd received Gibbs' device, but he hadn't used it, and he was, quite frankly, a little bit nervous, and I would be too, about using it. However, you also have a time device, time travel device, that was given to you by this the same inventor, the late Stephen Gibbs. Um, before we discuss the device itself and, and what it looks like, um, talk to me about how you met Stephen Gibbs and just give us some insights into who this late inventor was. Well, uh, Stephen Gibbs was kind of, uh, he was almost as weird as <laughs> I am. And he... Uh, <laughs> He was an inventor, but uh, this is the only thing that he actually invented. And uh, Art Bell found out about it. Of course, they got together. So he was on the Art Bell show probably three or four or maybe even five times. I was on there with them a couple of times. And we talked about uh, what we have seen and what we have done with it. And... What I want to say right off the bat is that uh, Stephen Gibbs is gone right now, which is a shame because he made a device that actually worked. This device is not a toy. Because there are people have any... that have... Yes? Sorry, did he have any, did he have any actual uh, training in physics or engineering? I mean, who was he? Uh, Stephen was just a regular guy. He uh, didn't. He had some electronic training, but otherwise uh, he he didn't even have a college degree. So he was just one that has studied on his own, and he got inspirations. Uh, I had a dinner with him in Omaha, probably around 1992 or something like that, and. He explained some of the things that happened to him and also how he got the idea to start with it. He said he had some dreams. These dreams would show him how to put electronics together. And it was explained to him that in this dream, if he did this, he could come and visit with someone on the other side, so to speak, actually in the future. And he started messing with it, and he had put the device together, and some of his friends, they were doing something with it, 
And evidently they had some really strange experiences. And I got one of the advice from him. And uh, starting out, I, I used it a lot. I couldn't get anything done. Uh, nothing worked for me until I started to manipulate my brainwave pattern at the same time, lowering the brainwave pattern down to about the bottom of the alpha range, down to around seven cycles per second. That's when things started happening for me. And All right. Before we uh, – just one more question regarding Steve Gibbs. How did you how did you meet and hear about Stephen Gibbs? Oh, yes, Um he was introduced to me through a lady in Omaha that has written something like 105 different books, about 10 of them on time travel. And she, has, uh, she had a long friendship with this guy, and uh, she called me one day and said, I'm going to have uh, dinner with Stephen Gibbs. And I asked her, who is that? So <laughs> she explained and that sounded interesting, so I joined them, and we had, about, I think, a four- or five-hour meeting at that dinner when we were talking about these kinds of things. And was he reluctant to, to discuss it with you, or was he no, uh, open to no, the idea? not at all. He, uh, he just totally opened up because uh, he had heard me on TV in Omaha, and he knew of me before I knew of him. So uh, it was uh, it was okay, and uh, we discussed things, and he told me some really interesting stories that uh, if you want to hear about them, we can. Oh, for sure, for sure. But just before that, you also were, appeared on a BBC documentary, I believe, uh, with theoretical physicist Michio Kaku on time travel. Had you already known about Gibbs' device by this point when you went on the BBC? When was that? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, that uh, BBC television documentary was done in 2003. And I probably got the time travel device somewhere around 1995. So uh, I've had it for about 10 years. But when the uh, TV documentary with BBC television was done, um, Michio Kaku was on there and a theoretical physicist named Green was on there. And uh, it got very interesting because uh, they had heard, uh, BBC television people had heard about a TV show that I did in Tucson where I interviewed uh, Stephen Gibbs. And also the one that I did on it explained what I did. So they called and I said, we are going to come to the U.S. to do a TV documentary on time travel. Mitchell um, Kaku and Green will be there. And there was another theoretical physicist also. And said, we'd like you to be on it. So uh, I agreed, and I met them uh, in, uh, in New Orleans. And then uh, I demonstrated the time travel device on that TV documentary, which uh, actually was shown to every English-speaking country in the world. So they were shown to over a billion people. But it got very interesting because he, uh, uh, the people from uh, BBC television, they asked some questions about the future. And I told them some of the things that I have seen. But not all of that happened. And I was puzzled about that. But n later, I have learned a lot about timelines. And I realized that the 
the mind of the one that is doing the experiment has great influence on the results and what you can see and what you can experience because that will shift timelines with you. And uh, this is what happened. Back then, when I did this, I was all about government cover-up, government corruption, and I jumped in the middle of it and exposed all of that, and that's where my mind was. And after that, I have changed that. It's become a more of a spiritual nature. So that's why I don't see those things in the future anymore. I, uh, I got to say this. I am not worried about the future at all. It's going to be okay. Oh, that's very encouraging. Well, thank you for that. We could use some good news. <laughs> um, <laughs> just getting back to Stephen Gibbs and your dinner with him in Omaha in the early 90s. Um, did he bring the actual device with him to your meeting? Because, uh, and we'll get into the, we'll get into a description of it. You have one there, um, and it's very portable. This is not like the H.G. Wells, you know, a time machine that we see in the, in oh, the no. movie. This is a small portable device. But did he bring it with him? No, he didn't have it there. I didn't even know what it looks like when uh, we had that dinner. But uh, I, um, I got with him, and I got one from him later. But I, um, he explained a little bit about what the device was. And for some reason, I believed him. That's why I got the device. Because also, uh, I read some of Pat Vest's books. That was the lady in Omaha that introduced me. Uh, you can uh, Google her name and you'll find about 10 different books on time travel for, from her. Sorry, what's uh, your name again? What is your name again? Patricia Ress, R-E-S-S. Patricia Ress. Yeah. And uh, that's also the lady that uh, I co-wrote the book with on uh, the one you just mentioned. But uh, for what we, what we did... With the device in uh, New Orleans, uh, they had all the cameras there in the hotel room, and I set it up, and I explained how it worked. And it really caught on. Of course, there was too many people in the room, all kinds of distractions, so nothing really happened at that time. And uh, they really loved that. They, they really liked it. So, uh, okay, Steve Gibbs, but he when he uh, sent it to you or talked about it with you, he issued a, a a warning that this is not a toy, and he gave you, uh, I believe, some examples of things that had happened. Well, one story in particular, which involved a was it a teenager who uh, who had the device uh, and just yes. uh, vanished. It was a young man. I don't know about the teenager part, but he was a young man going to college, living at home with his parents. He bought the device from Stephen Gibbs, and they shipped it to him, and uh, he got it. He went up to his bedroom, and he evidently started experimenting with it. And uh, that was in the afternoon. And then uh, in the evening, his mom came up to his room and was going to invite him down for dinner, and he wasn't there. The uh, device, the, uh, the black box was sitting in the middle of the bed. The time coil was there, and everything was sitting right there in the middle of the bed, and it was plugged in the wall. 
but he was gone. So she uh, thought, well, gee, you know, he went somewhere, so we don't worry about him. And then overnight, he wasn't there in the morning, so she said, well, he stayed over with some friends. But she also found out he hadn't showed up at school. And that evening, they started to get worried, so they turned in a missing person report. And uh, then the police came out, and they started uh, listening to her story, and they said, okay, yeah, all right, what did you do? Did you kill him? You know how police would think in a case like this? Yes. But, uh, but the thing is that the young man never showed up anywhere afterwards. He was gone. Wow. Wow. So did the police... What, what did I the police... Expect? Did the police interview yeah. Stephen Gibbs? Uh, yeah, he, uh, he bought the machine from Stephen Gibbs, yes. But did the police end up, did, did the parents know about this, that he, that uh, their son had bought a, a machine from Gibbs? And did the police end up questioning Stephen Gibbs? Uh, that I don't know if the parents would know about that. He may have told them, but that never came up in a conversation. And uh, Stephen never mentioned that the police contacted him, but his parents did contact him. So he talked with the parents quite a bit. And uh, they were uh, really, you know, just totally out of themselves because of what had happened. And he explained what could have happened. And uh, that didn't make a lot of sense to the parents, he said, but uh, that's really all he could do. So this young man went somewhere, but unable to get back? Or what, what did Gibbs think happened to this young man? Well, uh, he kind of thought that maybe he had put the machine on, or should I say the device, because they thought there's no moving parts in it. And he ended up going somewhere, but he left the device behind, so he may not have had the chance to come back. Let's, let's look at it. If he went to the future, maybe he could reconstruct it, possibly, but if he went to the past where there were no electricity, he would be out of luck. So I know it's possible. A lot, a lot of people are interested in the pyramids and Egypt and stuff like that. If they went back to that time, yeah, right. that, that, that could <laughs> create disaster. So it's possible he went back to the past, yeah. uh, no longer had access to the device. <clears throat> uh, it's, it's possible that he went to the past and lived out his natural life, but in the past. Or, Absolutely. or he may have or may he may have come to some tragic end in the past. That could very well be also, because you you never know when you step into that quantum existence, there's things out there that is uh, strange. And maybe if you don't understand it, it can be a little alarming and possibly dangerous. You have the device uh, right next to you at this point? Uh, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's sitting in a box here. All right. Well, um, we're approaching the uh, the bottom of the hour, and um, we'll wait until the other side, uh, and then we'll get you to unpack it and and describe in the best sort of theater of the mind details that you can provide what it looks like and how it works and um, uh, your experiences with it.
Augie Nost is uh, with us, and we're talking about the uh, the late Stephen Gibbs, the inventor of this time travel device. And uh, we'll uh, we'll get to it right on the other side on Coast to Coast AM. And we are back with Augie Nost, the author of Spiritual Science, Higher Consciousness Thinking, and How to Access the Universal Consciousness. And we're talking about the time travel device invented by the late Stephen Gibbs of Omaha, Nebraska. And Augie is in possession of said device, and you've got it right next to you sitting in a box. So let's sort of slowly unpack this thing, describe it in as much detail as you can, and then we'll we'll um, get you to explain how it works exactly. Yes, yes, uh, I have the box right here, and uh, actually it's not in the box anymore. But uh, I can explain what it looks like, and then I will explain a little bit how it would work. First of all, there is a black box that is about six inches by five inches and about uh, three inches deep. It is several switches on it, and there's a few dials that you can tune the frequency of your frequency to the machine. And the way you do that, there is a um, stick plate, and anyone out there familiar with radionic computers, you will know what a stick plate is. That is a plate that is hooked up to the electronics in it, so you rub your finger back and forth until the fingers stick. That's where you want to keep the dial. And then you turn to the next dial and rub the finger back and forth again until the finger sticks, and then you leave the dial alone. And it actually works that way. Your finger will stick when you have got the right frequency and tuned to it. So the right and frequency being what the the like the Schumann resonance uh, no, or the what? frequency of our com should I say the combined consciousness of the person as well as the body frequency. Because it can also be used as a healing device, as a um, as a uh, you know radionic computer. Because there is a well in it. Let's say that you want to heal somebody from at a distance. You can also do that. But for this purpose, there's no need to talk about that. So you can turn the device on. There's a little red switch for that, and then it is on, and you can plug it in the wall. And the circuit goes from the black box into a very strong electromagnetic um, electromagnet. And you can hold that electromagnet against your solar plexus with, uh, I believe it is, I seem to remember, it's a positive end of it goes towards the skin. But you really shouldn't touch the skin. Just hold it in your aura so that... You, the magnetic device will, the, the, the magnetic field will penetrate into the body. And then it goes from the electromagnet to a uh, spiral cord that we put around our head, right at the level of the third eye, right above or between and slightly above the top of the nose between the eyes. And you put that around your head. 
And now you get the energy that is coming from the black box going through the magnet into the time coil, is what it's called, that is around your head. So you make a circuit where you involve the energy of the mind also in coming from what Stephen said, it activates something in the pituitary gland that opens up a channel. And he didn't really explain a lot about that because he was very careful about the technology. He really didn't want anybody to know about that. Right. Let me ask you, um, so as I'm trying to understand this, you've, you're holding one hand, you've got this electromagnet that you're holding up to your, um, your abdomen, plexus. solar plexus. Yeah. Yeah. The other hand is holding the, uh, is it the stick plate, the, the box containing the stick plate? Yeah, you can put the, uh, the black box on the table, and then you use uh, what I do. I would use my right hand and my index finger to rub the stick plate. And I hold the magnet with my left hand against my solar plexus. And you have to, to remain in contact with the left hand and the stick plate, the fingers on the stick plate, uh, uh, the entire time? Uh, not necessarily. Y yes, you have to hold the magnet there. But when you get the black box tuned to your frequency, then you can let go of the stick plate. You don't need that anymore. It's all set. All right. And when it's determining your frequency, a, co a combination of, <clears throat> excuse me, your your um, your body's <clears throat> the, the 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 frequency generated by your body and your consciousness that yeah. is creating what a a unique fingerprint. Uh, that that frequency belongs to you and you alone. There's no one else that has that that frequency. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I think you explained it better than I could. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just trying to understand here as we go along. Yeah, yeah this is okay. good. Uh, you, you did just right. Because uh, let's say that if you are sick, if you have a bad cold and you feel like uh, something that will get stuck to your foot walking through a field, no then you will have a different frequency than if you are perfectly healthy and you're in good spirits. So this will tune to the frequency of you at the time you are doing it. Okay. So I've got a good mental picture. I hope listeners do too. Uh, you've got this coil around your head um, at the level of your uh, third eye or your pineal gland. You've got Correct. the right hand on the magnet. You've got the the black box uh, on the table, but you've got your your fingers on the stick plate. Yeah, um, until until you get it so that you get it tuned. Right. All right. Then what happens? How do you activate the time travel time travel once device? You every, once you have everything set, then you should go into deep meditation. And that means lowering your brainwave pattern. Uh, I know there are, Steve said that people have done it without meditation, but I tried it and nothing worked for me until I started lowering my brainwave pattern down to around seven. And I've been meditating all my life, so that was easy for me. 
So, uh, what do you mean by down to seven? What do you mean by lowering your brain pattern down to seven? What does that mean? Seven cycles per second. And uh, that's the bottom of the alpha range of brain wave patterns. So that's where I might go. There's something about the number 7.4 cycles per second that has something to do with opening up a channel in the pituitary gland. 7.4. Uh, I have read that from uh, sages that uh, in the West here that is talking about 7.4. Uh, so I kind of took their word for it, and I was aiming for that. I'm not so sure I got to 7.4, but I got close, and evidently that's where things started working. Does that take some uh, considerable training? I mean, some people meditate their ent entire lives. Uh, how long did it, and what is involved, and how long does it take to be able to meditate to, to, to train your mind and your brain, rather, your brain to, to lower it its, into the alpha range 7.4 or thereabouts? Sometimes you do it without even knowing it. When you're driving a car, you end up in a semi-hypnotic state. You, oh, I've done that. Yeah. Lower, or you're watching TV. You get totally engrossed in it. And your brainwave patterns come down. There's been experiments proving that they can actually, just by watching TV, the brainwave pattern drops down into the alpha range and... That's not necessarily a good thing watching TV because then all the subliminal advertising goes right into the subconscious mind and make a new imprint that you will act on. But when you control uh, yourself, go into meditation and <clears throat> close your mind down. Try to keep all unwanted thoughts out. And this is one of the things that Nori and I teach in the mastermind that we're doing. And it's okay. very effective. You can... You really get insight. You get thoughts come out of absolutely nowhere with brilliant things in it. And okay, so after you've you've lowered your brain waves into the seven point four uh, range, yeah. Then what happens? Do you have to set some sort of an intention and decide? Do you want to travel to the past, to the future, or does it wherever it takes you? That's where you go. You follow. No, uh, you kind of. It's kind of like getting in the back of a cab. You got to tell him where to go. So you you got to set your goal to what you want to do first, and then you have a picture, a mental image of it that is very important. Hmm. I like that imagery. Getting into the back of a cab to the Gettysburg Address and step on it. There you go. It could be done. Okay. But. Uh, what I would say, you asked before also, how long does it take? Well, it took me quite a while. I must have done this for, oh, I don't know, a month or two, quite often. And I got nothing done until I engaged the brainwave pattern like this. But once you start meditating, meditation is usually the gate to higher consciousness. So that made sense to me to start lowering the brainwave pattern into the alpha range, which is the alpha thinking, and that's where you in, you connect with the universal mind much more than you do otherwise. So how many, you said you tried it for, uh, was it a month or several months before it worked? Did you get discouraged at that point? Did you say this thing doesn't work? Yeah, I did. But I listened to Stephen. He just said, people actually make this work. So I said, okay, 
I'm not a quitter, so I'm just going to keep doing it. I probably did it at least maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe once a, once a day, once every two days or so for at least a month. But that's so, practice. So let me ask you, is it, it's not, is it physical time travel uh, or is it, when we think of H.G. Wells and the time machine, we think of, you know, if you were observing someone sitting in this time travel device, they would be there and then whoosh, they would be gone. If well, I were to, if I were to watch you wearing this time travel device, you activated it, uh, you're not disappearing, right? You're just, you're traveling, is it time travel using consciousness rather than physical time travel? Well, um, let me answer that in two different ways. First of all, I have not been able to get any results when there was somebody else with me in the room. But think of the, the young man that disappeared. That was ah, just yes. by the mind. Right, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. So I would also say that, uh, well, one example actually would probably explain that more than anything. In the, uh, I think it was uh, oh, probably around 1999 or so, I just came to Tucson. And I, I did an experiment, where I, a mind experiment using the device, and I found myself walking down the street. And it was clear as a bell around me. I walked down the street, and there were people coming the other way. And it appeared to me as they made eye contact, and they, I was walking straight ahead, and they moved out of my way. So it appeared to me as they saw me. And that's why they, they moved out of my way and moved towards And I walked up to a newspaper stand, and I looked at the, uh, the headlines in it, and uh, I could see read the headlines. And I could read some other things there. You know, you don't you only see the front page in those newspaper stands. And I can see the date on it. That was six months in the future. Six months so, in the future. And what and what year was this? You you were time traveling. What year? That that was it. I would probably the summer of nineteen ninety nine. Could have been the okay. So you're looking at the. Fall or winter of 1999, yeah. Do you remember the headline? Uh, there was something about an accident, and that did happen, as far as I know. But the other stuff, I, I don't really remember what it was now. But uh, hmm. some of that, what you see, I have to remember also, there are timelines out there. And uh, what I saw there, that did happen at that time. But what I other things that I saw around that time did not happen later, because uh, evidently I ended up in a different timeline. And boy, am I glad that I ended up in a different timeline because I saw was not very good at all. Can you tell us what you saw? Well, I saw the the a total stock market crash and the country turning into total turmoil. The military had to come and take over, and uh, there were military everywhere. They were maintaining the peace because people got so fed up with government, they started uh, doing away with them. And 
you know, that doesn't solve problems. So I'm sure I'm glad that that didn't happen. That was the same time travel journey where you were walking down the street in Tucson in 99? That was the headline, or was this another trip? Uh, that was a slightly earlier trip. That's ah, okay. When, uh, you know, all those calamities happened. But, uh, all right, uh, Augie, we're coming up on a, on a break here. Excuse the, uh, the interruption. Pardon the interruption. We're coming up on a, uh, a break here. Uh, top of the hour. When we come back, uh, we'll discuss more on Stephen Gibbs' time travel device and um, more of your journeys right here on Coast to Coast AM.